The Ballast Point Saga continues. New revelations about the weirdest acquisition in the history of craft beer. Plus, Dirty Reindeer Games and a local documentary goes national. This is It's All Beer. Welcome to It's All Beer, where, like founders, we don't see color. Is this a stout? Is this a blonde? Is this an amber? I literally have no idea, and I refuse to answer. It's all beer to me. I'm Jeremy Jones, and uh, actually, Tyler can't be here today. He had a family emergency, which is a bit of a shame because we actually uh, uh, have a special beer in. Uh, but a sitting across from me as my temporary co-host is Eric Talbert. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I hope Tyler's well. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things, you know, um, but, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame because, um, you brought something special for us, uh, today. So, um, just to set this up a little bit, I want to say how about two, one or two months ago, we were talking about strange collaborations that breweries were doing. Um, and I mentioned the Stone Jägermeister collaboration being done in Germany and I put a call out to, if anybody happens to find this beer and wanted to send it to us, um, they should feel free to do that. Um, and you did. Yes. So I was actually a, a new listener at that time. I, I acquainted with Jeremy at a, where he, his day job, and he mentioned the podcast. So I, I, I tuned in, and one of the first episodes I listened to was that one. And, and he said that, and I was interested myself. And he mentioned on the podcast that it was... Not available in our market here in Boise, Idaho, uh, but mentioned the closest place you could get it was Seattle. At the time, my father happened to be in Seattle, and I got to give a shout out to Keith, who happens to be in Seattle now. So if it's good, maybe we'll have him bring us some more back. But uh, anyway, he was there, and I, I said, Pop, you want to find this beer for us? And he did. He bought, brought a bottle back, and uh, so I wrote to these guys on their Facebook page, and I said, hey, let's try it. And so... I got invited on the show to come do it, and I'm looking forward to it. I mean, in case there was any question, you can buy your way onto this podcast with beer. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if you know me and Tyler, you sh- that shouldn't come as a surprise because I think we've structured our lives around basically the access to free beer. But uh, but just throwing that out there, yes, you can get on this podcast with uh, with beer. So let's uh, take a take a uh, uh, check uh, check this one out. All right. I mean, the aroma is, yeah, it's Jägermeister. I get the licorice. I get the citrus peel. I get the mint and the, like, the herbal uh, herbal concoction. Wow. And, yeah, that tastes like a strangely bitter Jägermeister. I mean. So here's the funny thing is I, I actually haven't drank the liquor like Jaeger for years. I mean, no self-respecting and, person. I think, I feel like once you hit 30, <laughs> if you're drinking Jaegermeister, either you have a major alcohol problem yeah. or you need to just let go of your youth, sir. <laughs> so now you're calling me out of my age. No, no but uh, I was like, I was trying to remember what does it taste like? And my first sip, I'm like, oh, oh that's what that's bad, what that's what bad decision smells like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, I'm going to do it again here. Cause I was, okay. Not, everything you said was right. You get that licorice, you get that, uh, sweet, a little bit sweet mm-hmm. in there, and uh, why don't you? You're since you're better at, it, you're more versed in this. What was the the, the collaboration? Um, so what? It, so it was a collaboration Stone. between yeah Stone and Jägermeister out of Germany. Um, I'm going purely by memory. Um, if you go back through our catalog, which if you haven't listened to every episode of our podcast, you absolutely should. But it, uh, 
Yeah, I talked about, yeah, they're doing, it was a collaboration with Jägermeister out of Berlin. And they basically brewed Arrogant Bastard with Jägermeister herbs. Which this, yeah, I mean, I get the Jägermeister. I don't get much Arrogant Bastard other than, like I said, that really, that really astringent bitterness in the back. I don't know what I think about this. What do you think? I, I, it's just bringing me right back to the liquor the most. And like I said, I haven't had it in a while. But is that flavor, is that anise or anise? Uh, it's, a, it's a bunch of different herbs. But yeah, I think anise is part of it. I, uh, or orange peel, I get a lot of that. I get mint. I get, I think, I think want to say Jägermeister is famously like 47 plus herbs or something. It has it on the bottle. All I know is that, again, it... And so as a more experienced beer guy, they're not like dumping Jaeger into the mix somewhere. It's it's, it's trying to emulate Jaeger. They or? could go either way, to be honest. Now, I'm guessing... Because that's a mouthfeel of beer, for sure. I mean, so you, and, so you can, and some people definitely do, add liquor directly to beer. Um, although the legality gets of uh, that gets a little bit tricky. Um, so I'm guessing what they actually did was just brew the beer with the herbs. Um, basically did arrogant bastard and then just either added those herbs into late into the boil or into secondary. Okay. But that would be my best guess, but and I'd say color. It's pale ale to me and my I mean, it's uneducated pale ale to an amber. I mean, it looks yeah. like arrogant bastard, Yeah. but I mean, it definitely has that aroma. Um, so anyway, before we get into, uh, this week's, uh, beer news, uh, why don't you, we, we were kind of, when you reached out to us saying, Hey, uh, so I caught your podcast and I actually found this beer. Um, we, we kind of sort of set it up. Uh, we kind of started talking about, um, our intro into craft beer. Um, and, uh, uh, why don't you tell, tell us about, uh, how you kind of kind of got into it. Yeah. Okay. So again, it was another, like, thought that was inspired by listening to you guys yak and talk about something retro and I, I can't remember what it was actually but uh it kind of reminded me of my my first drinking days of craft beer and then I thought well I want to ask these guys like how did they get into it so I'll share mine but I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna ask you the same is what was your gateway beer okay um, so for me in college uh I had buddies that that invited me over a lot and we drank uh Henry and this is at Oregon University of Oregon we drank Henry's Private Reserve, Portland Brewery. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna, uh, <laughs> Portland, or it's an Oregon brewery. I, I, I forget where they're out of, but yeah. And so that was sort of like what we just drank instead of Budweiser. And we thought, I guess we thought we were more sophisticated than the I rest mean, of my mates. But <laughs> but at the time, you're not wrong because I've, I mean, it was, so I, I don't know a lot of the history, but I want to say that Henry Weinhardt's is one of those like breweries that was kind of hanging on after Prohibition and sort of got a boost from the pre-craft beer movement. I mean, I remember seeing Henry Weinhardt start to appear as Sierra Nevada came on, as, like, New Belgium started. So it was kind of like the, yeah, pre-craft beer. But, I mean, it's an American lager, so. Okay. But to me, back then, I, you know, I didn't care that much, but I knew it was different than Budweiser, and, you know, I thought it was, I knew it was regionally local at least. And then at a party, I had a Saxon's Lemon Lager. I remember, that became my 22 ounce of Saxon's Lemon Lager. And I was like, wow, this is good. And partly because it's, uh, you know, it's a pretty easy introductory beer. Um, but I like that. And I remember thinking, what is Saxon's? I never heard of it. And I, of course, I had to go look it up 
you know, years later, and it was a Lake Oswego brewery, and uh, they don't make that particular uh, one anymore, it's according to stuff I looked up on the web, but Saxon's Lemon Lager was one of my gateway beers. And then after I graduated college, I moved up to Alaska for a summer job, and I drove motor coaches there, and long days of sunlight, and my job was to drive motor coaches, so I had to be very careful about how much drinking I did. But Sorry, define motor coaches. I'm not... Yeah, motor, a big big tour bus. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah sorry. And uh, so just driving cruise ship passengers around. Oh, yeah. okay. And it was a seasonal position. They, they recruit out of here, too, and so that was my, my summer gig, and... It's my first time kind of on my own outside of college with not no buddies and stuff around. And I'd go to this brewery called the Sleeping Lady Brewery, uh, which is in Anchorage. <clears throat> and uh, I started drinking beers there. I'd go and I'd journal and I'd write and I'd, I'd drink beer. So Saxon's Lemon Lager, Henry Weinhardt's Private Reserve, and the Sleeping Lady Brewing in Anchorage were sort of my intro to like good beer and from then on, I, I, you know, I kind of adopted an actual taste for it versus just tolerating it. And so anyway, that was sort of my gateway okay. beer story. I'd like to hear yours. Well, I mean, the thing is, is strangely, I don't have a gateway beer story because I was pretty much indoctrinated from the get-go. So I guess my earliest experience with craft beer would be around the time my dad got a his first homebrew uh, set up. Um, I was probably 15, 16 at the time. Um, somebody, I, I don't exactly, I think someone gave it to him or, or something. I'm not entirely sure the details, but I, but he got a, he, he got your basic homebrew setup. You know, the, the two buckets, the, you know, the, the siphon, the, the crimper and all that stuff. You know, I mean, basically the, the thing that, that every homebrew store has available and we started brewing beer in the on the back porch and he'd let me drink it i mean i was uh, he my family never really had were never really that strict about alcohol i mean obviously they didn't want me to get me get shit faced but he'd let me have one of the beers we brewed and and so that would probably my that would be my first beers uh was the the was my dad's homebrew so um, so let me ask was that a badge of honor or is that a badge of shame um, it, I mean, it, at the time it was good beer. I enjoyed it. Um, at, probably looking back, I'm sure it was every person's first beer. It's probably a little overly st- sweet, had that extract flavor to it. Um, but it, you know, uh, it was, it wasn't Budweiser. So, um, my first legal beer was actually Lefe in Paris. Um, Lefe is a is a Belgian beer, but it is actually owned by AB InBev. So there you go. Um, but when I went to college, um, I pretty much got indoctrinated into craft beer like immediately. I remember one of my first college parties uh, that I got invited to. I had a, I had somebody buy, I, I had an over 21 person buy me a six pack of Coors. And I picked Coors because I, that was what my dad drank. And so I brought a six pack of course to this party, and I distinctly remember um, a, a guy uh, who I kind of became friends with, Matt, looked down at the beer I brought. And he says, "Throw that shit away," and gave me. I think Eric. I don't know. I, I really don't know what my what. I don't have a gateway beer because it really was. I think it was arrogant bastard. So it's kind of maybe fitting. Yeah. But I don't. But the, here's the fu- here's the secret part. 
I don't think I liked it when I when I first got it because I thought it tasted like metal. Like I do have like vague memories of college, like like choking back arrogant bastard and a couple of like really big heavy beers that were so bitter that to me the hops tasted like metal. But I just developed a taste for it, and I really never had the Keystone Budweiser Coors um, part that I got and then switched. I have always drunk craft beer. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of weird that way in that I don't, didn't have a gateway beer. I had a gateway life. Extravaganza. <laughs> that so, is interesting because most people... I, well, I think, yeah, you're right. I think most people... Trace pe- it to uh, a funnel that went right. opposite, you know. So. And, no, I've, I pretty much got snatched up and indoctrinated pretty quickly. And you know, by uh, my sophomore or, sorry, my junior year of college, I was making a little documentary about the Eugene craft beer uh, for a class that, if I remember correctly, we didn't get a great grade on. Man, I want to see that. I, do. <laughs> I don't think we do. <laughs> Hopefully nothing, it doesn't exist. But, um, yeah, and then I, and and I also have the kind of personality when I get interested in something, I take it to its logical extreme. Um, I didn't know that was going to be a career path for me, but it's nice to know I was sort of adopting one. All right, well... Um, let's get into a, a little bit of news. Um, so, <clears throat> we are about a week away from the big announcement that uh, that absolutely nobody saw coming. Um, uh, you probably heard the podcast last week. Kings and Convent, or, sorry, Kings and Convicts Brewing um, announced they were buying Ballast Point uh, from Constellation Brands. Um, this. This was the this was this deal famously went down in 2015, uh, where Constellation bought Ballast Point for a record one billion dollars in 2015, and since then they've experienced a bit of a corporate buyer's remorse. Uh, deta- and they basically unloaded uh, Ballast Point for a song. Um, details are, the details of the deal are really sketchy still, but. More and more are coming out, so I thought it'd be useful to take a step back and see a little bit more of what exactly happened. Um, this is, comes from an article of, from Good Beer Hunting. Uh, Brian Roth kind of laid out um, what Constellation was trying to do and why maybe it didn't work. Um, so, again, as we talked about last week, Constellation is a surprisingly uh, a young company given how big they are, um, they became Constellation in 2000, um, changing their name. They're basically a wine uh, import company uh, that started just uh, acquiring uh, brands left and right. And uh, they went to distilling. And then in 2013, uh, they joined the beer world when they uh, acquired uh, Modelo brands from uh, actually AB InBev. And by 2015, um, according to this article... They were, uh, according to this article and another from uh, the San Diego Union Tribune by uh, Peter Rowe, um, they both make Constellation seem like this young billionaire who walks into a, a, a casino and just walks up to a table, throws a million dollars on the table and doesn't give a shit. Um, we're going we're, we're gonna to gamble and we really don't care how it turns out. Um, they literally walked into the walked in this deal with near nary a fuck to be had nor given which isn't to say that they didn't have a plan 
they tended to uh, own cheaper supermarket brands. I mentioned like last week, if your grandma drank it, it's probably Constellation. Um, but uh, they were putting more and more um, emphasis into quote unquote high value products. Um, and, they, and the idea is that higher priced products uh, command more respect in the marketplace just by virtue of being more expensive. And it sort of makes sense because AB InBev at the time was already building their quote-unquote high-end division. Um, in 2015, they bought Elysian, uh, Breckenridge, and Three Peaks, and a couple of other breweries. They were just absolutely going shithouse crazy. Uh, and it feels like Constellation got swept up in the frenzy. Um, Ballast Point was an attractive brewery, um, if you're pursuing this strategy at the time, um, they had they their prices were higher than uh, basically any other brewery, um, not by much, but I, it was kind of well known that a six pack of uh, Ballast Point will run you about twelve dollars versus about ten dollars for most other craft brands. Uh, yet people were willing to pay it, um, which. To Constellation kind of proved what they were thinking was like, listen, if you just acquire these high dollar products, you just kind of, they're, they're inherently better because they cost more. Let me interject there. Yeah, go ahead. Jeremy, because I, I had a question about this. <clears throat> and if it's not the right time, you can you can push it back. I'm curious, do these, because you talk a lot on your show about uh, acquisitions of breweries. When I moved to Boise, back from back to Idaho from from Oregon, Ten Barrel had just been acquired. Correct. And that was a big deal. Yes, it was. talked a little bit about it. And I remember I had a friend at the time that worked at the Oregon, uh, the Bend, the original location in Bend. And uh, he said that people stopped coming for only a short period of time. Eventually they came back. Mm -hmm. I'd moved here already. I'd gone to the, the Boise version of Ten Barrel. And a lot of them didn't even seem to know about it. And so... In, in light of last week's story about the Corvallis, or a couple weeks ago, the Corvallis fat, flat, fat tail, flat, flat tail, tail yeah. being acquired, like that seemed like a sincere example of corporate brewery screwing up the system. But in case of Ten Barrel, and I'm curious about this one that you're just talking about, like, do you think it's an automatic, like, turn to evil if you get acquired by one of these big boys? Or... Is there room for keeping it real, and is there room for uh, keeping it genuine and sincere, or is it a buyout and automatic fuck you? Well, I mean that's a hard question to answer. I mean, so I, I we talked a little bit last week. I think uh, uh, the Ballast Point Constellation deal was the worst case scenario uh, when it comes to um, what people are afraid of you know, when their favorite brewery gets picked up by a larger corporation, which is that, um, it's hard, the, the detail, it's really hard to know what was going on, um, between Ballast Point and uh, Constellation, but it became clear that, I mean, Constell Ballast Point really, really suffered. And it's hard to tell why that is other than, I feel like Constellation just didn't have any idea. They, they were trying to run, Ballast Point, like they were trying to, trying to run Corona or Modelo, you know these these kind of domestic, no, no, well, these import brands, but that people just they're they're daily drinkers. You just don't run craft beer that way. Um, to AB and Bev's credit, to my knowledge, 
they really don't fuck with their uh, the breweries they acquire that much. Um, I've talked to uh, to people that work at Ten Barrel um, that they they are pretty much given free license um, to. I mean, ABM basically says, go forth, you know, make us money. In fact, here's more money. Bring us back more money. And so um, I think as far as the the fear that uh, people have with that, you know, the the beer that they've come to love, you know, the, the, the suits are going to come in and they're going to, you know, make them use inferior ingredients. They're going to make them change recipes to make it cheaper and they're going to streamline it and they're just going to ruin everything in the name of, uh, of, you know, you know, good, efficient corporate, you know, whatever that fear, I think kind of played out in ballast point. Again, it's hard to tell, but from the outside, I believe there's a little bit of that AB InBev, not so much, but what I think you mentioned, uh, you know, we did a story, um, a couple, I think about, three weeks ago where, uh, yeah, there's a, a corporate beer sucks edition. Uh, go look that up. Yeah. Um, that one, that's just 10 barrel behaving like assholes and, and doing it and, and doing so with, you know, knowing, yeah, the, th- the, th- go ahead. So Mike, do you think 10 barrel would have done that before they were AB and Bev? Um, Another, so let's recap the story it was a uh, flat tail brewing is a brewery in Corvallis, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story was, I think it broke on social media was, uh, yeah. they were taking pictures on their Twitter feed of, and, and, and stepping one back more was flat tail had long had the, uh, slogan of best damn beer and yeah, know, or damn good beer, damn, damn good, good beer. beer yeah. yeah. Damn good beer. Excuse me. Yeah. And I don't know if they trademarked it or whatever, but they were sort of known for that slogan. Mm-hmm. And then one day a, a, a 10 barrel truck rolls up and it's got that printed on the side damn good beer. not only that but it's got the the oregon state beaver logo on it and stuff and so anyway and then it turned into a little twitter war uh with these two breweries which you guys kept uh well in one year oh episodes. thank you so anyway but my question is is would would 10 barrel have done that if they were just the ben brewery or was it something about being ab and bev that made them the big evil empire well i guess it's hard to say um i don't know the owners of 10 barrel but um i would say i'll say this um whether 10 barrel would have or not um and whether they know it or not having that power of ab inbev behind them brings a certain like it it brings a defeatist attitude towards um to to, uh to a a smaller craft beer i mean for example let's all right let's run the scenario um you know, if Ten Barrel was just Ten Barrel and they'd done this, take ABM out of the question. I'm, I would guess that the the owners of Flat Tail would have actually contacted Ten Barrel directly and been like, actually, hey guys, that's our tagline. Um, can you, you know, can you, you know, can you not use that? And then Ten Barrel, you know, may have said okay or go go fuck yourselves, and there may be a cease and desist or what have you. But I mean, I want to say that. And again, I, nothing to back this up other than, you know, then, you know, if you're flat tail and you're a tiny brewery and you got AB InBev doing it, you just throw up your hands and you go, there's no fucking point in even trying to fight this because, you know, if we contact 10 Barrel and say, hey, stop using that, then all we're going to get is a, an AB InBev form letter, you know, that's saying cease and desist from us. 
And so, you know, when they just kind of, I mean, you know, Flat Tail, maybe to their detriment, their reaction was to be snarky on social media. And actually, I, I saw a few criticisms towards Flat Tail, uh, you know, uh, on that story where they're like, you know, hey, you guys are being childish. You should have just approached Ten Barrel directly. And I think even Ten Barrel said, hey, if you would have just talked to us. Well, so here's a question for, about that was, to me, the Ten Barrel response was, uh, it was, it was micro or uh, craft brew words with corporate backing. In right. Words, in, in other words, they said... Oh, if you only would have come to us, we would have we would have you know changed it. But since you didn't, yeah, fuck you. go fuck yourself. <laughs> and and so I mean, we could run that scenario, but I'm you know, I'm inclined to say, um, yeah, because they're AB InBev, that's why they got kind of a snark. And I, and you know, their initial response, you know, notwithstanding, I dearly love Flat Tail's next response, which is something along the lines of, oh, all we had to do was ask nicely. Well, then stop. I mean, they called AB InBev out for all the horrible shit they do to basically prevent competition. I mean, AB InBev um, is a is a malicious player in um, in the beer industry to try to prevent competition. Um, lawyer, AB InBev lawyers, I'll see you in a minute. <laughs> and by the way, what was you and I are the old guys in the crew, and Tyler's not here to defend himself. But what was the uh, what was the challenge that they a boat to? race? A boat race. No, and I, was, I took it. I'm the, totally with you. I was like, what? I took it the same way. As, I took it like literally, where I'm like, um, like an actual like we're gonna get into. And I actually, the funny part is behind the scenes, I had written up like a whole like thing, a scenario about a boat race, and then Tyler like, no, no, no. Here's what a boat race is. I'm like, oh fuck. Yep. Well, scratch up that page. So go, go listen to the previous episode if you don't know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> but yeah, apparently a boat race is you get a team that tries to drink a case of beer. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, what, you know, what would it have been differently? Yes, it would have been different if, if Tim Murrow wasn't owned by AB InBev. Um, but, um, um, but, the, but I think the bottom line is that yeah, there is this kind of defeatist attitude when you're going up against you know a, a entity of that size because they are classically not known for being forgiving. So, but um, anyway, cool. So, what other stories you got for us this week? <laughs> well, um, so um, um, get a little bit more on this uh, uh, on this uh, thing about uh, constellation. Um, but anyway, as I was saying, it, it feels like constellation kind of got swept up in the frenzy. Uh, Ballast Point was an attractive brewery, um, and for their strategy of trying to acquire uh, uh, more high-end brands, it seemed to be a good one. But um, even in 2015, it was pretty clear that Constellation overpaid. Um, I did not know this, but according to uh, the Good Beer Hunting article, a generally accepted way of uh, valuing a brewery is $1,000 per barrel they produce that particular year, um, which... Basically, what you know that makes the three million that uh, that Sam Adams paid for Dogfish Head earlier this year kind of makes sense. You know that's roughly where their barrel production was in 2018. So you take that times a thousand, and that's how much a brewery is worth. So keep in mind, so a thousand dollars per barrel of beer produced in the year you buy them. 2015, Ballast Point was producing 277,000 barrels which means that Constellation ended up paying $3,600 per barrel produced in 2015, or well over three times 
what the generally accepted amount is. Contrast that to what Ballast Point sold for uh, last week. Again, details are sketchy, but it's generally accepted that it's going to be around $100 million. Um, that works out to, at their current production, $350 per barrel of beer produced in 2019, wow. um, which is staggering. Um, but again, it was, I mean, you, you, the more you dive into this, you kind of go, you, you kind of go, and is Constellation at all upset by this? And the answer is no. They kind of walked up, they threw a bunch of money out, and they're like, ah, fuck, that didn't work. Okay. So the answer is, okay, why didn't this gamble work? And I think there's three takeaways. First, um, nobody anticipated the backlash uh, when Ballast Point lost its independence. Um, I think the jury's still out about how much um, a business, how much business a brewery loses when they sell out. I mean, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. That you said that people were like, when AB InBev bought them, like, oh fuck, we're done with Ten Barrel. We're never coming back here again. And then a month later, they're like, we're, we're back. We, we like the beer. Um, they actually attribute quite a lot of loss, especially in San Diego and California in general, um, to the fact that people um, that Ballast Point was now owned by Constellation, so screw it. We don't really, you know, we don't really care. San Diego is kind of a weird little microcosm because it is one of the few craft beer cities in California. So I think it had a lot to do with it. Um, second is craft beer experienced a strange bubble. Um, it wasn't a bubble in the sense that craft beer itself was like, you know, what like people think like craft beer is going to hit like this this thing and then slowly shrink. Um, craft beer is still growing. In fact, the Brewers Association predicts a four percent growth in 2019 but the perceived value of what breweries what breweries were doing at the time uh was terribly over overestimated um and i think ballast point was basically the guy who went up to a million dollar house in 2007 and you know for for uh, you you kids out there at uh, 2007 that's when we crashed the economy using the housing market um He's a guy who walked up to a million dollar house in 2007 and goes, you know what? I'll give you five million for it. That's a bit such what Constellation did. Um, and then the 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 market kind of collapsed and they kind of found themselves holding a brewery that wasn't even worth a fraction of what they paid for it. And the third thing is craft beer over the last few years has evolved in a very satisfying way, which is the market has become saturated on a national level. But what that means is that craft beer is kind of returning to its roots and people are more interested in supporting local breweries uh, than they are big national chains. And, and we're seeing the effect because, of you know, we're talking about Dogfish Head having to sell to Sam Adams just to stay alive. New Belgium, same same thing. We're seeing this this trend that, you know, it, when you're on the national level, you're just not doing the business you need to because people, if you... There are there are really cool releases that breweries are doing all the time. This is a good example. This you know Stone arrogant you know, the Jägermeister arrogant bastard. People will seek something like this out. But when you just want a pale ale, you're pro you're probably gonna go find the guy on the corner that's producing it. I think that's kind of cool. So I'll, I'll I'll throw in a story here. All right, it's related to that. It was uh, in regard to supporting a local brewery. <clears throat> If you if you're a person that likes beer of all kinds, uh, well here here's an example of where where this comes into play. So I'll, I'll go to a, a, a 
it's a it's actually a growler station locally so they've got 20 or 30 choices which to me is kind of overwhelming i'm like <laughs> ah what do i decide so i could probably drink 90 percent of their stuff and enjoy it and so there's certain people like me at least i can only speak for myself you get uh how do i decide and occasionally it, it becomes that well which one's local so I'll pick the the local one. Mm-hmm. If I'm drinking at Craft Brewers of Boise and I'm like trying to figure out what I want, <laughs> I'll say, "Hey, g- you know, give me what you guys make right here." So there's a, a time where that really does come into fact into play. But I'm curious, in your opinion, as a guy who works in the industry, and I don't, do people think about that a lot, or do they care whether ten barrels per ten barrels owned by AB and Bev or you know? Uh, ballast points owned by Constitution. How many people that you encounter as a guy that serves beer to people on a regular basis? Do do people besides me think about that, or your average most people just go give me what I like? Your average your your average consumer no doesn't even doesn't know and or really care. And that's sort of what I don't know if you've ever uh, run into it or even looked for it. Um, that's what the uh, the independent craft seal was supposed to help alleviate. Um, if you, are you familiar with that at all? I don't, I don't know. Off the top of my head. Uh, let me see. Well, let's take a look at the stone, uh, yeah. <laughs> stone brewery should, yep, there it is right there. This guy. Okay. All right. So the idea, so, so the idea, this is, this comes from the Brewers Association. It's a little logo printed on the bottle. Um, I, gotcha. I mean, so this can run from a tiny little logo printed on the bottle and actually dogfish head like has it as a third of their six pack. But I mean, any brewery that is under a certain, a certain amount of barrelage per year, uh, basically, if you're smaller than Yingling and you're not owned by Anheuser-Busch or Miller Coors, you can put this on your bottle. And what this was meant to do was supposed to educate the public um, so that, you know, if you if you wanted to know what you were supporting, you had sort of some way to parse it out. That's simple. That, 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 that's simple. But your average consumer, do they really give a rat's ass if they're buying AB and Bev or not? No. I don't. Um, but should they? That's my question. I guess like... I mean... <laughs> I think... So I would I would encourage anybody to not support AB InBev. Mostly because they are anti-competition. And they do things in the market that are frankly disturbing and just wrong. Um, it's, it's, you know, if you believe in free market economics and capitalism, what they do is objectively shitty. You know, they buy off, um, distributors. They, they, uh, openly violate the law against, uh, aid to retail, which basically, so, um, if I, if I run a brewery and you run a tap room, I'm not allowed to go to your tap room and say, Hey, can I buy you some coolers in exchange for carrying my beer? That's strictly illegal. AB and Bev does it all the time and they get fined for it. They've got fined for it last year in Washington. They've gotten fined for it in North Carolina and they happily pay the fine and continue doing it. Um, so, you know, I would say, you know, my personally, I don't, I try not to support AB and Bev because I think they are a, um, a malicious player in the beer industry at large and the craft beer industry in, in microcosm. Um, I feel less, uh, you know, I don't. I don't really worry that much about Miller Coors because you know that being the second biggest 
biggest player. And then you got like, you know, Heineken and Duval and, you know, recently. Where's Constellation in that? Constell- I mean, Constellation, I mean, craft beer is, it, they're, actually, they are the largest importer of craft beer. Or sorry, they're the largest importer of beer because they own um, uh, Corona and uh, Modelo. But I mean, in the in, in beer, they're not really that much of a player. But in wine, they're huge. But I've not again. I'm not really seeing that much of this activity from Constellation. So I never really, excuse me, I really never, never had this moment where I like I don't want to support Ballast Point anymore because they're owned by Constellation. Um, and I feel the same way about Miller Coors. Is that is and and Duval and Heineken. I, I still drink Lagunitas. I still really really love Firestone Walker. Um, and, um, you know, and I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna drink new Belgium when they come out with good stuff. You know, I, I, I don't look at acquisitions necessarily as an evil. I think a, a lot of these are just, it's, it, it's just a simple thing. There's money to be made and there are big companies wanting to make more money. And so as long as, I mean, the Constellation deal is bad because they did what I think a lot of. Uh, what a lot of people worry about was they started fucking with the brewery. And so, but in that sense, I don't feel like not supporting Ballast Point because that's a self-inflicted wound. So let me ask you this. If you're, would you consider yourself a guy with a wide palate when it comes to beer tastes? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Okay. I, I can find something about, about pretty much every style that I like. So then you, like me, do you, how, how often do you make a, a, a buying decision based on economics or or who owns it, that kind of situation. So I'm I'm really weird. My daily drinker is the beer I make myself. So I am the I, I am the world's largest supporter of of uh, a House of God's Brewing Company right here in uh, Boise, Idaho. So you don't put yourself in the situation <laughs> where you have to where you have to decide between. But like, do I want ten barrel or? You know, but when I'm looking for when I'm looking for beer to buy and take home, um, I'm looking for. I mean, I'm and I've openly said several times on the podcast, I am the worst craft beer um, snob ever because I want. I'm that you know what what haven't I tried today? I don't have like a the the uh, the uh, a usual beer. I want to try something new, something different. Um, but if I'm going through the shelves, yeah, I probably won't buy Ten Barrel, and I probably won't buy Elysian. Um, I did I, until this year. I had a moment of weakness because Elysian did do the pumpkin beers every year, and I do dearly love pumpkin pumpkin beers. And Elysian does them the best. You're making faces that suggest you have an opinion of pumpkin beers. Go ahead, let it go. I've heard it all. Let her rip. Go for well, it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I haven't had a pumpkin beer that I I want to crave for every year. Pumpkin beers is something I haven't gone into. Maybe I haven't tried them enough to get into it, but. For me, pumpkin beer is not, you know, I could I could do without a pumpkin beer. I, I I do like them, and I am in the minority. But and I would like I would go out and get Elysian's pumpkin beers grudgingly do that. But otherwise, no, I I do I do pretty much make the decision not to really support uh, any brewery that is owned by AB and Bev. So, um, but I mean, but uh, the. But I also, you know, when I was buying beer for uh, um, when I was buying beer for a tap room, um, my predecessor at the time actually had a hard line against even buying beer um, to have in the tap room from AB InBev, and I was a little bit softer on that. 
because my the way I looked at it was okay. That's you know I want to make that decision, but that's not my decision to make. You know I mean I will educate customers about you know hey you know you know that's owned by AB InBev right, but if they don't care and they want the beer, you know I don't feel like that's my place to say you know especially since it wasn't my store. Now if I own the store then then uh, uh, that's a different story. But I was I was acting as a entity you know I was acting as a person trying to make money for somebody else, and so I'm like. Look, if customers want it, then I'm going to carry it. Maybe not a lot of it. You know, if there are two Ambers, you know, I actually kind of a good story. Um, one of the reps from um, from the local distributor of Budweiser um, came in and, you know, one day and he brought in Blue Point, uh, the Blue Point Amber Ale. And he proudly proclaimed, he goes like, so he, he, he wanted me to try like, he was like, yeah, we're going to use that to knock a, uh, knock a, a, a fat tire off taps all over the city. And I kind of look at him and kind of go, AB InBev? He goes, yeah. I go, why? Look around. Why would I want to buy that to knock off Fat Tire? Kind of gets this, like, he kind of gets this look in his face. He goes, oh, I was not aware of where I was. <laughs> but wasn't wasn't New Belgium bought recently by yes. somebody? Uh, they are actually now owned by um, uh, uh, Kitten. Um, we did this, uh, that story is uh, a couple weeks ago. But yeah, they were recently bought by uh, by. Uh, a Japanese company who owns an Australian company who now owns New Belgium. So does that, does your argument with that rep still hold water? I'd still support new, I'd still support new Belgium over, or over 10 barrel because again, I don't think that Kieran or small creatures out of Australia are bad actors in the beer industry. I do believe that AB InBev is so, but um, yeah, that's kind of, I mean, that's my personal ethos on it. Yes. Um, but anyway, um, so what else you got, man? <laughs> you got some other stories to talk about tonight? No, still the same one. <laughs> okay. Well, let me, well, okay. I didn't know. Here's a segue then. Okay. Uh, so I, I recently watched a, a documentary that's locally in Boise, Idaho produced and it's called <clears throat> untap the, the story of Boise, uh, brewing in Boise. I, I might've butchered the title actually, but <laughs> Anyway, it's uh, it's on Amazon Prime. It's a cool cool doc from a production standpoint. But I will say, two of the breweries they feature in there were Boise Brewing mm-hmm. and Ten Barrel. Yes, Ten Barrel, which is AB and Bev. Yes, and Boise Brewing, which is a community based. They're brewery. independent. Yes. So I'd say if you didn't know any about the ownership, if you watch that doc from a neutral standpoint, it comes off as very affectionate in both cases. Right. So. When I when you say like I can't support AB and Bev, when I watch a doc like 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 the one I mentioned, and I hear the brewer from Ten Barrel in Boise mm-hmm. talking about how we're going to the farm, we're getting we're getting the hops, and they show it they're getting mm-hmm. the hops from the Idaho brewer the Idaho hop farm. Like to me, that's preserving the local, like classic structure of it. And all the the things we love about craft brew, the quality of it, the the the, the local camaraderie of it, the you know, I mean everything you everything you could like about a, a local craft craft brewery, it seems, is still preserved. Right. And like I mentioned earlier, when I moved to Oregon, it was when that acquisition happened or from Oregon to Idaho. I didn't see a difference. I didn't see a difference in how it was managed, how it was operated, how it was made, the quality of the product. Uh, in the case of Ten Barrel, I didn't see a big change. 
So how how does a guy like you that's kind of anti AB and Bev reconcile? Is it is it just a principle of it, which is a perfectly acceptable answer? There there's no there is no good well, answer I'm because something. I I I mean so you I I I've met the head brewer. I've talked to the head brewer of Ten Barrel. I've in, you know I like the head brewer of Ten Barrel, and we've had some you know we've had a very uh, uh, you know good conversations. Um, I wouldn't say we are friends, but we've definitely been acquainted. And that is tough to reconcile uh, sometimes, but I mean, does does he seem to think there's a difference in who owns him? No, no. I um. Uh, so um, so uh, the 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 owner or sorry the brewer of uh, the of Boise Brewing is uh, so the Boise um, Timberl Sean Kelso, um, and you know I don't want to put words in his mouth, but um, from my conversations with him, no, he he doesn't. He does not feel that a, a lot of pressure from AB and Bev to do certain things. Um, they more or less leave him alone. And in fact, I've talked to um, someone else locally who works for Ten Barrel that a lot of doors open for them. So that I mean, he's one of the he is one of the better paid brewers in in Boise in an industry that's famously hard to make a living at. Um, and so you know, I mean, I, he. From his perspective, it is a good deal, and I do not blame him for um, for enjoying it and for you know enjoying his place in it. And I don't and I don't begrudge him um, for you know, for doing that. But I you know, respectively am not going to spend a lot of money in that establishment because it goes to A B and Bev. And that's a matter of principle versus something you've witnessed. Or maybe no. you witness it in other areas. I mean, it's 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 a larger thing because it is. Yeah, it's again. Um, there it comes from two things. Number one, I'd rather my money go to, my, rather my money stay local, um, to independent independent craft beer, and it's because I do believe AB InBev is a bad player and they do not hide it. And so you know, and again, respectively, you know, respect respectfully. Um, I think they do do some cool stuff at the Boise 10 barrel, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. Um, so anyway, I just had one more uh, thing before I wrap up this, uh, 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 ballast point constellation thing. Um, Summers is the last week when, uh, Brendan Watts was at a golf club, um, uh, hosting an event for a constellation, uh, 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 or sorry, excuse me, not Watts waters apparently has some, uh, pull there. And he floated the idea to a Constellation rep about maybe sort of kind of buying Ballast Point. It kind of sounded like, hey, you know, maybe if you guys wanted to sell Ballast Point, maybe a guy might be interested. Um, and he, the next day, he got a call from the Mergers and Acquisitions Department of Constellation. And actually, it's this kind of an interesting story in the, um, in the uh, uh, San Diego uh, Union Tribune. Um, Fresh off a family trip, uh, his partner, Chris Bradley, um, came back from a trip from Rome, sat down with his partner at uh, Kings and Convicts uh, and said, hey, did anything happen during my vacation? And Waters said, uh, yeah, we're buying Ballast Point. <laughs> That's how rapidly this shit happened. Um, but they poured over the books and despite all of Ballast Point's shortfalls, uh, they they were a well-known brand with a footprint that people would kill for. So we're still a long way from this story being over. Um, a lot of details are still under wraps, but, um, and you know, this deal still needs federal approval, but um, 
I don't know. For me, this is an encouraging story about where the industry is going. No, no. I okay. Was, I was but, uh, but, but before we do that, um, let's talk about – so I went ahead and opened up something, uh, uh, something uh, new, keeping with the stone theme. Um, I opened up a 2018 Woot Stout I happen to have. Um, Eric, what do, you, what do you think of this one? I was just thinking about uh, Ballast Point, and they're known for, like, strong beers. Is that correct? Um, actually, they're more known for – well, their flagships are their Sculpin, their Grapefruit Sculpin. But I, if I had to say what Ballast Point's known for, it's taking their core beers – and jazzing them up a little bit, but I mean, yeah, they do have a they do have a uh, a run of of high alcohol beers that they're known for. Okay. In the in in regard to that, I took a sip of this and I was like, "Wow, is this Ballast Point?" And I was like, "No, it's Stone." Yep. And uh, this is Stone. How do you say it? Swoot or Woot? Woot. Woot so stout. this is a Stone Farking Wheaton Woot Stout. So this is a annual collaboration that Stone does um, with. Um, um, with uh, Will Wheaton, and who's actually a big Stone fan, and um, oh, Goonies, yeah, yeah, and so um, basically, it is a bourbon barrel aged um, uh, Imperial Stout with I want to say hazelnuts or hold on, okay, well let's just go. Well, just I'll just read the back of the bottle. Um, front and center this year is the result of Will's creative machinations, taking the art direction duties. Uh, with well-known, well-renowned fantasy artist uh, Joe Jusco representing our gargoyles triumph over the evils in the world of beer. Six years into this amazing Woot Stout legacy, and I continue to be stunned and humbled by the response of our fans. Actually, this doesn't really tell, talk about much about what... The, oh, there you go. Um, uh, partially inspired by Kentucky Derby Pie of Drew's home state. And speaking of Drew, we asked him to lean two of his strengths, drinking Woot Stout and, cheating up, and chatting up a storm. Okay. Well, anyway, it's supposed to like a collaboration between three uh, uh, three of the guys, Tuit Stone and Will Wheaton. But um, this is a yeah annual release from Stone. But here's what I'll say about it. it's it's a tasty beer. It's mm-hmm. very flavorful. Uh, when you mention barrel age, I'm like, oh yeah, of course. That's what it, that's what I'm getting out of it. I love it. It's good. All right. If you like tasty, like it's a strong flavor, and I like strong flavors. This is a good beer. And smoothed out nice though. This is the uh, 2018 uh, release. And yeah, it's it's a little bit a little bit roastier uh, uh, this year, but uh, this is aged quite nicely, so. All right. A little sweet, a little boozy, but I would say it's it's great. Snitches get stitches news now. All right. Eric, some people have no fucking sense of humor. <laughs> This is actually from, uh, this comes from Vice and Jalissa uh, Cast- uh, Casterdale. Um, when Sycamore Brewing announced their Christmas cookie uh, beer this year, their fans in Charlotte, North Dakota, or North Carolina were excited, but their, their excitement about the beer started to go away and they started getting more excited about the can's design. So um, I'm going to put this up on Twitter. Um, at first glance, the cans look like an ugly Christmas sweater. Uh but with the Sycamore Brewing logo and a maple leaf. But if you look closer, well, hold on. Let me I'll, let me pull this up. And Eric, let me t- let's see what you find. In the logo? Alex, look at the can. <laughs> I see a leaf. Look closer. <laughs> All right, let's go to... I think I still have it pulled up on Instagram here. I do not. So anyway... 
Well, let me go pull that picture back up. All right, look closely. You're probably going to... It's... it's What you're going to see, at first glance, the cans look like an ugly Christmas sweater um, with a sycamore brewing maple leaf. But if you look closer, you see a Dasher riding Dancer cowgirl, oh. Cupid giving da- Donner the old Blitzen. Of course. And uh, Vixen uh, living up to her name. Wow. <laughs> it's... So- so now I feel silly because he's literally showing me the same picture. And I was like, that looks very sweet. It's cool. What's your problem? And when he says all those things, I'm like, yes, there's a... Uh... It's not graphic. And again, I'll put this up. It's not graphic, but it's a pixelated reindeer in very suggestive poses. Yes. But it was enough for some killjoy to make an, a, an anonymous tip to the alcohol law enforcement agency in North Carolina, ironically named Ale. Um they went to Sycamore Brewery and probably had a very funny slash not funny conversation. Um, for me, I picture like some tight-assed federal agent trying to explain why pixelated reindeer fucking isn't funny while the other party is like trying not to laugh because this is objectively funny. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's alcohol law enforcement, but it, like I said, he showed it to me and you heard my response, which was nothing. I was like, what? I was... I was fishing for what is he trying to, what am I missing? You know? And when he said those things, there's little icons, like little emoji style I mean, say, icons put- on the logo. And uh, they're definitely reindeers humping. Uh, but I would say it's not, I don't know. I would say not secular distasteful. <laughs> you probably wouldn't take it to church, but <laughs> who's bringing their beer to church, right? I mean, depends on your religion. I mean... <laughs> Um, the brewery, unfortunately, probably faces a, a $500 to $1,000 fine for these because they did not have the cans approved. What is the law they're violating? Well, I mean, so the, that's a good question. I don't have the answer t- to it. Now, to distribute out of state, you need to get the TTP, um, approval on any logo. But in state, I'm not sure what the, and I don't think these made it out of state. So I'm not sure what the... Um, other than the, um, then the article in vice says that, um, the, the violated the agency's rules. And so this it strikes me as a state law. They violated the agency's rule prohibiting obscene material. So I think in North Carolina, you have to have the, uh, the, you have to have ales approval before you put out any, any label. So they were, I mean, if they put this out in Idaho, they were they might be fine except for grocery stores probably wouldn't want to carry it but i don't think you'd get in trouble for this uh boise brewing famous famously put out a witch's tit that you know could be seen as obscene but i don't think no one ever stopped them but anyway um they face a fine but the uh the co-owner of the brewery was uh, uh took it with good humor and he said basically quote we're in a moment in our country where the president is up for impeachment. There are school shootings. There's all this horrible stuff going on. Uh, and you never know. A 7.5% ABV beer tastes like cookies with pixelated reindeer. That's a nice reprieve, I think. <laughs> um, the, the, it, was, it was distributed to a few grocery stores. But the funny thing was is that uh, in those supermarkets, they didn't display it. You had to ask for it by name. And... Uh, and uh, one of the uh, a spokesperson for a supermarket chain uh, basically said, uh, customers were allowed to request it. We just really hope they weren't asking for the reindeer fuck beer. <laughs> the reindeer fuck beer. 
so, what kind of beer was it, by the way? It was well. It strikes me as kind of like a like a. It's hard to tell. It's winter like, ale. Uh, more. I'd call it more like a flavored beer, or maybe like a flavored winter warmer. It's hard to say, but it's supposed to taste like Christmas cookies. So, like one of the pastry beers type you're, you're seeing now. Um, but um, unfortunately, the cans w- were reprinted, and so. If you are if you were lucky enough to uh, get a uh, uh, get some of the, uh, the the cans with the naughty logo on it, hold on to those. Those could be worth some money. <laughs> nice. Hey, uh, hey, speaking of that, I'm gonna derail you a little bit here. Do it. Ah, uh, I saw at your 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 day employment the mash beer, and I had a I had a can of that from when I was a teenager. I bought it at an antique shop. Mash from the TV series. Okay, I well, look back up. Yeah, so um, uh, where I work at, at Tap Room, um, we have displayed a um, uh, a bunch of cans that say the what the zero zero nine four or 10, yeah whatever the what, 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 the what, Mash television series. Yeah, so it was a reference. longest running television series, or at least right. it was for a long time. I think Simpsons beat it, but is that kind of stuff valuable or is it just gimmicky? It's hard to say. I mean, I haven't really delved into how much cans are worth. I mean, there's like a famous legend about the Billy Beer cans. Um, Jimmy Carter's even more embarrassing brother um, came out with a uh, came out with a uh, uh, a line of beer, and um, the, only a few cans, only a, a little bit was produced, but uh, in like legend has it that if you have a like a, a can you know even an empty can of billy beer it's worth thousands of dollars and the answer is no it's worth like 25 cents okay um so i th- and i know there's a can collector in boise oh yeah that's great you should get that guy so show. yeah it might be worth talking about i don't know too much about the collectible cans market i will say though i'm guessing that a a a, a can of reindeer fucking that got pulled from the shelves that's money that's, that's gotta, gotta be, be money that's I'll, gotta be I'll worth buy something that. i'll give you five bucks for that <laughs> i mean it's not I'll, I'll, me personally, I'll kick back. Where do we get that? Can we get that in Idaho or not? We cannot get that in Idaho. Damn. I don't. That did not make it out of North Carolina. And the funny thing was, is that people. I got a lot when I was reading through the Instagram comments. A lot of people were asking if they could get it in Texas. I don't know if uh, Sycamore Brewing distributes in Texas, but no, they were like, nope, can't. It's gone. So if you have friends in North Carolina, and this a testament to me being on this show, was I said my my father was in Seattle, and he could hook up the Stone Jägermeister collab. So if you're in if you have if you have an unopened can of this beer i can't speak for tyler he's not here but we might pay for your plane ticket to come down here (laughs) we might i mean we may go we may tell your friends in the carolinas we might do a go we might do a gofundme (laughs) to get you down here i will pony up for that there you go okay so there's at least i'll kick back some money i'm sure tyler would we've got three already so if you are listening and you actually have a can of this unopened Cause I want to try this beer too. If you have an unopened can of the reindeer fucking beer, sure, yeah, why not? Let's we, let's talk. Get in contact with us, and we'll talk. And speaking of getting in contact with us, um, just one more thing. Uh, me and Tyler have been talking about um, doing a 2020 uh, brewery Deadpool. So with all the acquisitions the last several years and surely more to come, me and Tyler are doing a Deadpool for 2020. Um, Next week, um, hopefully, Tyler uh, will be back for our last episode of 2019. And we're going to make a list to to 
we're gonna make a list of uh, who we think are gonna get bought out and by whom. Um, I'm sure uh, uh, me and Tyler are gonna make it interesting by some side bet, but uh, I think we're gonna open it up to anybody else who wants to participate. So uh, here's what you do: uh, make a list, write it down, uh, write down the name of the brewery who you think might write the name of the brewery and who you think might buy them. Um, for example, um, if we were doing this in 2019 and you were a goddamn psychic and wrote down a perfect list, it might read something like this. Um, New Belgium, Corinne. Widmere, AB InBev. Uh, um, <clears throat> Laurelwood, Legacy Breweries. Ballast Point, Kings and Convicts. And if you picked that, motherfucker, we, we, we gotta talk about lottery tickets. Um, Dogfish Head, Sam Adams. So basically, the brewery, and who you think might buy them. Um, write down up to 10. Um, you get one point. Uh, if the buyer on your list actually buys somebody, you get two points if the brewery on sale actually gets bought by somebody. And five points if you actually get the combination right. Well, at least that's kind of what I'm thinking so far. We'll, Me and Tyler will hash this out a little bit more next week. So what's the time frame for it? Is it... Um, in a year or in a few months? If you want to participate, uh, get your entry in by January 1st. Um, but when is the acquisition? Like, when is the. the sometime in 2020. 2020, okay. So, some between. So, this time next year, you guys are going to be hashing this shit out. We're uh, we're going to have a. We're, we're hopefully going to have. And we, tallying it up. Tallying it up, seeing. First of all, seeing between who. Between me and Tyler, who won. And I'm like, I'm sure we're going to abuse each other. Because that's what we do. Yeah. Um, but um, that'll be entertaining by itself. If anybody else would like to participate, um, I'm sure we can come up. I don't know what fabulous prize we can come up with, but at least we could probably get you on the podcast and put you in the uncomfortable position I put Eric in this this evening. So what? Are, what are some like some hooligan out there that doesn't? You know, you don't even know who it is, and they just smoke you. Like uh, I get the predictions right. You're gonna bring them on. I mean, sure. Why not? I mean, if they, I mean, if they, if they predict, uh, look, if they were able to predict something like the Ballast Point uh, Kings and Convicts acquisition, first of all, I want them on the podcast just to know what they know. And for the record, <laughs> I'm in Jeremy's house right now. So, <laughs> so yes, yeah, that's a pretty big invite. So you too can sit next to a a barrel of uh, uh, Imperial Stout that's aging in a bourbon barrel. Uh, my picture of J.R. Bob Dobbs. Praise Bob, and uh, a pirate flag that's been featured on at least pretty much every picture I've taken in here. So, <laughs> and um, yeah, so if you want to enter, um, again, we'll uh, we'll talk about it more next week. But send it into um, uh, send it into us. You can get a hold of us at it's it's all beer at gmail.com. You can post it on our Facebook page, and you, or you can post it on Twitter. Um, we're at it's all beer one. Uh, tag us. Maybe use the hashtag. Uh, um, uh, beer Deadpool 2020 and um, yeah see if we can get a few other people on this uh, I have four questions okay four questions hit me no go ahead no, don't I mean we'll wrap it up with this alright what four questions do you have okay. where do you, where do listeners find the uh I'm going to post it up on our Twitter feed, maybe on Instagram, but uh, look up Sycamore Brewing. Sycamore um, you can Brewing. find that. Uh, you can you can find that label. Okay. And where do they find your podcast? Uh, you can find. Good. What a very good question. Thank you very much. You can find us if you uh, look for us. Uh, uh, it's all beer on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, we also have a, a feed if, if you look up a. Uh, it's all beer at City of Geeks. Okay. 
If you want to keep up with Pixel Beer, it's the best way. Facebook, Twitter, how do you guys... A little bit of all the above. You can, you, you, you can keep track of us. We have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter, at uh, It's All Beer 1. And we actually have Instagram as of fairly recently. Again, it's at It's All Beer. Uh, subscribe to all of those because I do something a little bit different on all of them. Okay, the last question. Where do we, where do we get out of your Deadpool uh, um, all of the above. Like I said, um, you could, if you if you wish to remain anonymous, um, send it into it's all beer at gmail.com. Uh, but you can post it on Facebook, you can post it on Twitter. Uh, sure, why not post it on Instagram? Who knows? Um, but um, yeah, uh, post it there. And if you post it in before our show next week, we'll read your picks on on the show along with mine and Tyler's, and uh, we'll keep a leaderboard and we'll see uh, who's getting closer. So, Jeremy, thank you for having me on tonight, and uh, good luck to Tyler. I hope he's well, and I hope he's back next week. And, uh, good luck to you guys in the show. <laughs> thank you very much. Well, this has been It's All Beer. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks.